Good morning. This is Pastor Dwayne, and we are so excited you have chosen to tune in uh, to our worship service here at Lewisport Baptist Church. Uh, we hope that this service is both exalting to Jesus and edifying to you. And so we pray that you will truly hear from the Lord today. Go ahead and take your Bible. Let's turn together to Colossians chapter 3. And as I look out, what a great crowd this morning. Wonderful crowd for our 11 o'clock. And, and again, we had a, a good crowd in the 830. We're picking back up. I'm encouraging everyone online to listen to that. We're glad that you're online. But we're picking back up in person in many different ways. And we're excited because we realize we need one another to encourage one another, to equip one another, to edify um, the body of Christ with our gifts and talents. So it's exciting that you're here. Colossians 3, go down to verses 12 and 13. I'll be preaching on two verses this morning. Hope for the home, and we're looking at a new wardrobe. Okay, and Paul lays out what this new wardrobe looks like as you turn there. And so let me just pause for prayer, and then we're going to dive in and receive all that the Lord has for us. Let's pray. Father, we delight in you. You are good to us every moment. And Father, we thank you for grace today in Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would work mightily through the preaching of your word. Father, our culture, our, our communities need the truth of God's word. Lord, our churches need truth from God's word. Every home represented, we need truth from God's word. So God, I pray that you fill me, Lord, and empty me out. I pray these words are your words. And so God, would you save sinners? Would you rescue homes? Would you restore marriages? Would you give us the truth on how to put you on, Christ on, every single day? Help us, Lord, to think through this new wardrobe that Paul talks at length about and how to lay down the old, old wardrobe of various vices of the flesh. And so, God, we need you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clothes say a lot about a person. Mark Twain said it this way, Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. And that's what he said. Dress for success. Anybody ever heard that? Well, we still use that phrase. It's still common advice that is widely um, considered even now. The fact is, most if not all of us give a tremendous amount of attention to what we wear and what style that we have. However, there's a major problem. Because style changes... And, uh, and they change very quickly. They also vary from culture to culture. We know that as far as style. What is viewed as acceptable and even attractive to one is seen as offensive and poor taste in another. But I have some good news concerning devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And Paul says it this way. The wardrobe of the first century is still in style today. The wardrobe, the Christian wardrobe that Paul says put on is still in style today. And we need to wear these garments. Now the problem with many of us is that we're going through the dirty clothes in our homes trying to find clothing to wear. When we really need to go to the clothes that are clean. 
And you know the tendencies to do that. I mean, kids can do that. They're finding jeans or a shirt and they can't find it. Where do they go? Where's the dirty clothes? In the Christian life, we could do the same. I mean, we could, as the flesh rises up, uh, give allegiance to the desires of our flesh and we could wear those dirty clothes of the flesh. Paul says, don't do that. You need to fight for your home. Fight for that relationship that you're in. We need to rise up, repent of wrong, and live out Christ in all of our relationships. So there is hope for the home. We need to think about others before ourselves. So Paul, talking about this certain wardrobe, is addressing the problems of the day. Gnostic teaching, heretical teaching, Various philosophies, worldly philosophies that crept into the church. And unfortunately, some of that bad teaching, uh, some people were converted to those bad teachings. And so Paul is saying, don't do that. There's good news. And he writes the good news in these verses. In view of what God has done in Jesus for the believer, Paul describes this behavior, this wardrobe, this attitude that God expects in response to his grace. And if you're taking notes, I would write down the word grace. Because if it were not for the grace of God, we would have no hope. Salvation is entirely from God. Out of his grace and mercy, he has bestowed upon us his love and forgiveness from all sins in Christ. So here's two questions for us to consider from two verses. Why live a holy life? I mean, why live a life as Paul is describing? And secondly, how do I live this set-apart life? I mean, he's talking about a certain wardrobe. Why should I do it? Well, definitely the, 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 the church answer is because God said it, and that's true. But we have several reasons to live this holy life set apart for God. And I'm going to give you four this morning. Four reasons, and it's definitely hope for your home, your relationship, as we interact in culture even with non-believers. We need to wear this wardrobe. First and foremost, because of our standing in Christ. Look at verse 12. The Bible says so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. I mean, that's great words that should encourage you. You live a holy life because God has bought you with a price, his blood, his only son. And you are in right standing, right standing with the Father. We know even from the previous verse in verse 11 that Christianity has broken down so many barriers. It's good news for everybody. So I don't know about your home your marriage, your parenting, uh, that, that relationship with a co-worker, that strain that you're struggling with, I know this, there, there's good news in the gospel that can set men free and that can restore relationships back to where they ought to be. And that's why Paul is addressing all these great truths right before he hits on the home at the end of chapter 3. So Christianity has broken down these barriers in verse 11, barriers which came from birth and nationality. Different nations who either despised or hated one another were now drawn into one family, that verse says. There's no distinction. 
There's no distinction. There's no longer a barrier which came from ceremonial and ritual laws. The circumcised, the uncircumcised were drawn together in one fellowship. It destroyed the barrier between the cultured and the uncultured. Greeks and the the Scythians and the ignorant barbarians. He says all these barriers now have been broken down because of the gospel which can save all of you and restore you to God. It destroyed the barrier between classes of people. Both slaves and free came together in the church. And thus, you've got verse 12. So, put this wardrobe on. And do it because of your standing. You you are the chosen of God. You are the elect of God. We know we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Salvation is from God, and out of His grace and His love, God calls us and we respond to that call. Tozer says this, I like this quote, only a sovereign God of the universe can allow for sovereignty and free will. I like that. That's worth your time today. Only a sovereign God can use his sovereignty and men's free will to save sinners. Being chosen. Ephesians 1.4. Salvation brings glory to God just as he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Underline the words holy and blameless. That's what we're called to be. So as we live in this culture, as we do life together in the church, as we lead our homes, we do so in a holy manner. Realizing our election, realizing our identity, that we are part of the family of God. Ryan led us in that song, we're a child of God, right? That should mean something. That should mean something in our land. We are set apart. We ought to be different than them. And he unpacks that, this this holy calling. Warren Risby says this, the life of Christ is, is to be seen more distinctly in the Colossian lives. So yes, there was a threat of Gnostic teaching. Yes, there was division in the church. Yes, the home was, was really being uh, struck with lots of um, uh, challenges. But there's always hope in Christ. So keep living well. That's what Paul is admonishing. We don't earn the description of holy and acceptable. God declares us holy and acceptable. If we're in Christ, God declares it. I mean, we don't have to earn or keep God's love. We are God's beloved. That's what he says. You are the beloved of God. The dearly loved ones you could translate of God. So what we do flows out of who we are. So as you live, it flows out of really the person you are. Character is something we need to talk more about. It's who you are when nobody's looking at you. I'm talking about at home when nobody's around. How are you? What are you looking at? Are you in the word? What is your mind pondering? Are you thinking of kingdom matters or earthly matters? Paul says, lift up the Lord, put this on, you are set apart. We belong to Christ, so glorify God in your bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Whom you have from God and that you are not your own, you've been bought with a price, so glorify God 
in your body. So we live a holy life this morning. We fight for our families. We put on this wardrobe, this wardrobe of Christ, which is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, because we're new in Christ. And we have the right standing. And secondly, we are the beloved. God loves us. Aren't you glad that God loves you today? We are loved by God. We are His children. You know, I've already talked about we're a chosen people. We're a set-apart people. These statements, we really need to think about the Jews for a moment. The Jews were God's chosen people, right? They were the dedicated nation. They were the beloved of God. And so Paul makes these three phrases connect to Gentiles now, with which Israel was the possession of God. I mean, God's own people now, his love and grace is available to all people. Isn't that good news that I don't care what you've done, where you're from, what you did last night, that his grace is sufficient to save you and change your want-tos? I believe that's what God is getting at. His love and grace now goes out to the ends of the earth, not just for the Jewish nation, but for all people, for all time. So that's why you come in verse 12 and it says, so put on the following. And I want to walk you through these five virtues. Put on is an imperative. So when you have an imperative, you got to have a direct object, right? The direct object is found in verse 14. Look quickly. Put on, and you see that word love in 14, but you back up to verse 12, and it's if Paul is saying, this is what love looks like. Compassion. Man, what if we put compassion on in our homes like today? What if you were compassionate to the needs of your spouse more? What if you were compassionate to those sick people in your community even more? What if you were compassionate to the sins and lostness of our land even more. Compassion was certainly characteristic of Jesus. Luke 1, 78, he was so moved with compassion for the people, he wept. I mean, Jesus, God in the flesh, wept over his people. And if Jesus wept, let me ask, when's the last time that we wept? He was so moved. He was so concerned about the poor that he fed them. He was so concerned about the sick that he healed them. Based on Christ's example, Christians should be the greatest helpers of the poor, the hurting, the blind, the sick, the needy. Are we? Put on compassion. Put on kindness. Jesus used the word when he said, my yoke is easy in Matthew 11.30. It's not harsh. It's not hard to bear as you interact with family members in your home, relationships. It's not burdensome. This kind of person is concerned about his neighbor's good. But I'm, I'm asking us the question, are we concerned with our neighbor's good? Are we concerned about right here? What I want when I want it. Or am I looking out for the best interests of other people? Y'all look up here. I could preach this morning. Oh, I could really get on a rabbit, but I'm not. I'm going to just stay with the text. Compassion, 
You got kindness, the good Samaritan. And Luke 10 came upon a, a man beaten who was his enemy and he bound the wounds, took him to an inn, spent a significant amount of money, cared for him. That story of the good Samaritan, you're being kind. What would your marriage look like even greater if you were kind to one another? With your kids if you were kind. And the kids to parents. And relationships in, in the office, wherever you are, in the workplace. If we put on what he's saying, compassion and kindness and, and humility. And when I see that word in the verse, I immediately think about Jesus Christ in Philippians chap, chapter 2, 5 through 11, who became nothing, took on flesh. He became a servant. Jesus served people. How much more should we serve as the church? Humility comes from experiencing the greatness of God and realizing that we become who we need to be only by His grace. The sanctification process as, as God works in us to conform us to the image of His Son is all about God's grace, God's love for us. He says gentleness. Roy Stedman said it this way. It is real strength. You're gentle, but it's so powerful in strength. It does not have to display itself or show off how strong it really is. You're strong. But you don't have to boast in that strength. You're choosing to be gentle. When somebody ticks you off, you choose to be gentle. When you want to lash out with that word, when that person really gets under your skin, the Holy Spirit's refraining you from doing that. In, in your marriage, when, when, when something's gone wrong, I mean... You respond with this gentleness. It's like a horse being brought under control. That's what Jesus talked about in his Sermon on the Mount. Bring brought under control. Put on gentleness. You're willing to suffer the abuse other sinners might even impose on you is what he's saying. Jesus was gentle. He didn't retaliate. Patience. Patience is the opposite of resentment and, and revenge. It was a characteristic of Jesus. Paul wrote to Timothy, For this reason I found mercy in order that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for everlasting life. Were it not for God's patience with us, no one would ever be saved. 2 Peter 3.15 Slow to anger. It's a great verse there concerning God. This list reminds us of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a new life. It's a new mind, new perspective because Christ has risen. You want to re you realize something? The early church had a battle cry. As we think about the church triumphing and moving ahead in difficult days of persecution and being scattered, the early church would cry this out. He is risen. He is risen. And because of this truth, they live differently. A.W. Tozer said it best in this book, The Crucified Life. Anybody ever read that book? You need to get it. It's really good. He said this, Easter was not just a holiday or a one-day event. It was an everyday lifestyle that transformed believers. 
like that. He was triumphant. Jesus was triumphant. And in him, we are triumphant. They lived by the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. And they too were raised as well in newness of life. A lost and dying world ought to tell that we are set apart holy and different. I'm not talking perfection on earth. But we ought to resemble Christ. What if we chose to put to death all these vices of hate and bitterness, gossip and slander, maliciousness that will rise up in our flesh because we're human? What if we put them to death and put on love, kindness, patience, compassion? Look up here. The world's going to say, man, you're weak. You're weak. But Jesus says, no, you're strong. You're my disciple. You're my my follower. And this is the wardrobe that we all must wear. Number three, why should I live a holy life? How am I going to live this set-apart life for the glory of God in troubling days? Well, verse 13 says, because of the forgiveness of God. Well, let's read it. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Oh, Circle, the, circle that phrase, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Can anybody talk to me about forgiveness? Is that easy to do when people wrong you? People really hurt you. No, it's not easy. But the Bible commands it. God has forgiven all of us our trespasses in Christ. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions. That's what God has done. And when God does it, it's, it's final. It's final. He doesn't bring, he will not bring that up and say, hey, look what you did. It's been paid in full. There's forgiveness found in God. There is grace sufficient for every single day now. Jesus' sacrifice appeased the wrath of God. And thus we have his grace and his mercy if we are believers. So in many ways, forgiveness is the key to all relationships that are healthy, strong, and lasting. You can choose to be bitter. Listen, I can find a reason to be bitter, probably at a lot of you, but I'm choosing not to. I mean, we can hold on to bitterness. You could go back, let's look up, in church life, you could go back 25 years to a bad business meeting, right? You can find a reason to be bitter. But we got to choose different, bearing one another. I mean, you're, you're making allowances for each other's faults. And, and our common language, maybe it's, it's better to say you're putting up with each other. You're choosing to put up with the body of Christ because we realize we are fallen people under God's grace and mercy, and nobody's perfect. Last time I checked, you're not perfect. Online, you are not perfect. And I know I'm not. I tell you every week I'm not, it seems like. But we are forgiven. God's forgiven me, so I I need to forgive you. If I hurt you, you know, you forgive me. But what if they don't ask? You need to forgive people. 
Well, well you've got to make some big old pot. No, it needs to be dealt with because if you don't forgive, you are being held captive inside. You are the one chained up, not the person that's wronged you. In the marriage, if, if somebody's if that spouse has wronged you and you're holding on to bitterness, you're the one in captivity. Let, let's choose to put on this wardrobe, all of us. It's a decision. It's an act of choice. It's an act of faith. We won't want to feel like forgiving. There's going to be times you don't feel like doing this. But you forgive to pursue a relationship, church. You forgive to have a relationship. It's to love somebody anyway. It's to go on with someone as though it never happened. And that's hard. But but the, the, the word of God says, do it. Hey, y'all don't look up here like I'm just talking craziness. I mean, what does the Bible say about your enemies? Somebody tell me, what are you, what are you supposed to do with those? All right. That's right. So we're to love our enemies and forgive those who've wronged us. That's Christianity. And that's in grace of God. I can't do that, but in the grace of God, I can think of Jesus and what he did and what God has done for me, and I can forgive you. The problem is we choose not to. That's flesh. Ken Sand, in his book, Peacemaker, a biblical guide to resolving personal conflict, writes... Christians are the most forgiving people in the world. Therefore, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. Amen? We should. Here's the point for relationships. How am I trying to make the point for your home? Husbands will offend wives. Wives will offend husbands. Parents will offend children. Children will offend their parents. They won't listen to their parents sometimes. Family members, or a lot of times. Family members will offend one another. Friends will hurt people. Friends will hurt friends. Co-workers will hurt each other. Sometimes it's intentional, and sometimes it's not intentional. Yet because we're human, we're going to hurt. Therefore, we must learn to forgive. Where there's no forgiveness... What do you think happens if, let's say, in your home, I mean, you've got a lot of bitterness going on. What, what's going to happen in that home if you never reconcile? That bitterness is going to grow, and it's going to grow in that family relationship, or even in the church family. If there's a root of bitterness, Hebrews 12, 15 says, we should watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Or corrupt you. That can't happen. So we must practice forgiveness. Bitterness holds you hostage. While forgiveness sets you free. Listen to this quote. When Christ reigns in the heart. There will be no room for grudges or grievances. When Christ is supreme. And he's reigning in the life of a born again believer. There will be no room for a list of grievances and wrongs. Forgiveness is an action based on choice and not just emotion. It's adhering to what the Bible says, what God has told us we ought to be doing. Now, let me clarify something. Let me clarify. Not every relationship that has caused us hurt might be restored. May not be. But at least you're doing what you ought to do. 
But every hurtful relationship needs forgiveness. Now listen to that again. Not every relationship that has caused you hurt will be restored. It may not be. But every hurtful relationship needs forgiveness. And that's biblical. The person who fails to forgive not only carries an unnecessary reminder of hurt, but also falls short of God's command. It hurts to hurt. I would to God that we would all practice these virtues. Put on love. And what does it look like? I've told you what it looks like. And last, why do we live a holy life? Obedience to the word of the Lord. Paul says, put it on. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. The one another's in Scripture would be a great Bible study for you to do with your family. There are tons of one another's. (laughs) C.S. Lewis, in closing, says, we are ordered to dress up like Jesus Christ. We're, We're commanded to do this. We're commanded to put Christ on, which means live out the Christian life daily. We're ordered to do it, he says, but there's also a good kind of pretending where the pretense leads up to the real thing. When you are not feeling particularly friendly, but know you ought to be, the best thing you can do very often is to put on a friendly manner and behave as if you were a a nicer person than you actually are. This is Lewis. And in a few minutes, as we have all noticed, you'll be feeling friendlier than you were. Very often, the only way to get equality in reality is to start believing as if you've already had it. It's a change of mind, I think is what Lewis is meaning. It's a change of heart. It's not just pretending, going through most, but it's realizing what God has said we ought to do. So every head is bowed, eyes closed. Maybe this morning as you think about a relationship that's strained, you need to do your part. Maybe in your home you know that these vices that Paul talked about, man, that characterizes your home and you don't want any part of that. Put them to death. And this new wardrobe, put it on. Stop going to the dirty clothes basket of your life. Stop taking out dirty clothing old clothing put on the new clothing and I promise based on the word of God God will do more in relationships to restore them God can do more through that witness than the bad witness and if you're lost this morning trust Jesus as Lord and Savior repent of your sin call on his name every head is bowed and eyes closed maybe you're in this room you're like brother D I'm just lost And I need salvation. But listen, you're a sinner. And you've offended God by your sin. And he's a righteous judge. We're guilty before God. We are are guilty. Deserving of hell. But out of grace, he's given us his son Jesus to take the penalty, the consequence of our sin. And he bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might live. And what do we do? We confess him as Lord. We repent of sin. We call on his name and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I've messed up. I've missed the mark. And I need you in my life. Change my heart. And the Bible says those who call on the name of the Lord will be 
saved. Is that you? If you just prayed that prayer, you're praying, you, you want to know more, you want to be saved, would you just lift up your hand? I'd love to see you if you want to be saved. Any hands? And if you are saved, keep trusting in Christ. Grow in it. Put on these garments. Father, thank you for these strong words concerning the Christian life. We thank you for the gospel which saves us. If it were not by your grace and mercy, Lord, we would be dead in trespasses, but it's because you've made us alive in Christ. And Lord, we ought to live differently. Help us to practice these difficult virtues many times, of forgiving and being compassionate and kind. But Lord, you do tell us this is the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord, you give us these gifts. So Lord, help us grow mightily in you. Help our roots to be so deep that this is just automatic, Father, many times as we live. Renew our spirits. Forgive us, Lord, when we do fail you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the worship service of Lewisport Baptist Church. We hope you join in again next Sunday as we worship the Lord. And if you would like to check out uh, ministries and opportunities to serve the Lord on our website, just go to lewisportbaptist.org. And again, this is Brother Dwayne. We're so glad you, you chose to listen today.